dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey there, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. So uh, we're still self-isolating. We're still quarantining, or I don't know how to call this. You know what? We're staying the heck away from each other, right? (laughs) (laughs) I guess. So how is it going over at the Scott Farm? Oh, it's going. <laughs> My husband goes to work every day and does what he needs to do and takes one of the boys with him and comes home in dark and starts all over the next day. It's normal springtime around here. So how are the boys liking going to work with Dad? The last couple of days, it's kind of been, I don't want to go with Dad. I want to stay here with you, Mom. <laughs> either getting bored or they would want to spend some time on the iPad or watch tv dad makes them work huh i don't know about that (laughs) if you consider staying out of dad's way at work (laughs) because because he's he's used to doing stuff by himself he's got stuff so he can do it by himself and he's not a big fan of having an audience (laughs) sounds to me like this is good not just for the boys but for dad I guess we'll see. <laughs> you know what? Um, it's it's funny just hearing and, and seeing everybody that's had to upend their whole routines. And, and I think that's the big takeaway from this whole pandemic isolation thing that we're doing around the world is we have gotten so caught up into the routine of there's every single minute of the day is programmed and you got to be entertained and and, you know, go, 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 because there's all these activities we got to go to. And boy, when you take that all away, holy buckets, people don't know how to, they just don't know how to do it anymore, do they? Yeah, last night I was having a moment like that when I walked away from my computer <laughs> and went in the living room and I'm like, well, I feel like I should be doing something, but I don't think there is anything I can be doing right now, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I took a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I keep sitting out and um, sitting here at my, my kitchen table and I'm looking out my front window and I desperately need to get some uh, weed and feed applied to this lawn. I need to actually mow the lawn because right now it's just getting choked out with a uh, hen bit and, and all the, you know, spring weeds and everything cropping up and, you know, it it's kind of weird. You, you want to go outside, but then you're like, I don't know if I should go outside. (laughs) It's weird. I know I'm safe to go outside on my own property. I know that. I know that. But you, you kind of have that, that mental block sort of. So I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You, you don't have so many neighbors sitting right on top of you, do you? (laughs) 
No, you can't even see the nearest neighbor. Hey, how's it going with getting the kids uh, on the school learning from from home? How how's that working for you? Well, I was able to pick up their stuff early on Monday. They didn't have as many people, or they didn't have as big of a crowd as they were thinking. So they let the ones that were scheduled on Tuesday come on Monday. So we went and got Chance and I went and got the stuff, and it was just hand over the garbage bag and goodbye. That's the end of your school. And <laughs> kind of weird yeah now they're doing some online learning and some packet learning right no no online so far it's it's all the packet oh okay the teachers have contacted me via an app that they use and you know making themselves available if kids want to talk and that sort of thing that's good are the boys kind of getting adjusted to not having that school schedule Oh, yeah, they had no trouble not getting up and going in the morning. But if they go with their dad, they have to get up when he gets up and uh-huh. make, their lunch, make their lunch and go with him. So, <laughs> You know, um, I uh, my sister-in-law, she homeschools um, my littles, my, my nephews and my niece. And, and uh, it's interesting now. There's a lot of people who are like, no, how do you do this? <laughs> and you've got your sister-in-law, doesn't she homeschool too? <laughs> Yeah, she homeschools. She's got seven kids, and the oldest two are in high school, and they go part-time to, to Hayes High, and then they still do a little homeschooling, at, at, I believe, at home. So it's an adjustment for them, too. Yeah. Well, um, there's people out there, if you if you get questions, and, you know, we're starting to see all of our, our friends in the, the industry organizations, you know, Farm Bureau and the, the, corn, the corn groups and the wheat groups and all of that. There's a lot of online opportunities to enrich kids' educational experiences now from, you know, a day on a, on a pig farm, you know, video to, uh, to all sorts of story hours and, and all sorts of learning modules out there. You know, if you've got kids that are... Um, that are kind of running up a tree or something, maybe sit them in front of the the computer and and start their ag education, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of good resources out there. Well, so I think we talked a little bit before, but I'm I'm starting to get a little stir crazy, Kayleen. Um, (laughs) Enough so that, uh, you know, I go to the store once a week. Um, Mostly it's just because I don't, I don't buy a whole lot of stuff each time I go to the store because obviously, you know, the stores are kind of limited on their supplies and I don't want to be that person that, you know, walks out with two grocery carts full of stuff when there's people that need it. You know, you take only what you need. Right. And, uh, so I, but I, when I go out and when I come back, I tell you what, I scrub up like I'm leaving a crime scene. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I shuck off the clothes the minute I hit the door at the house and, you know, change different clothes and scrub up everything and put stuff in the wash so that way I'm not tracking stuff in. I kind of understand now those people that work on hog farms that have the shower in, shower out. <laughs> I totally get it. I'm not, I'm not near that excessive. I washed my hands and first we, we just came back from town because I got a Walmart grocery pickup and got the mail and did some other things and I washed my hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Getting a grocery pickup at Walmart, getting a slot, you have to be at least 24 hours in advance now. You can't just do one, you know, they don't have any slots the day that you need it, do they? 
now I looked last night about 11 o'clock and they had some for quite a bit today and they only have them two days out so it's not like it used to be yeah well so my other new obsession along with everybody else in the United States is Tiger King (laughs) (laughs) on Netflix have you watched this Kayleen oh most of it I I'm awful when it comes to watching tv I sit there for a while and get you know watch it and then my phone (laughs) pulls me in (laughs) and I don't stay hooked but yeah my husband watched most of it how can you not stay hooked on this okay people (laughs) if you aren't a next if you aren't a Netflix subscriber go find somebody that is and and get their password Uh, you know what go ahead and, and do that it's probably illegal but go for it I'm telling you right now you have to go and watch this people because This is just the, you know what, on the surface, I want to laugh at it. And I do laugh at it, okay? It's the story of this guy in Oklahoma. His name's Joe Exotic. He's the Tiger King. He operated a tiger uh, wildlife refuge thing down in, in, in Oklahoma. And he's originally from Garden City, Kayleen, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, he was born in Garden City. He was born in Garden City. High school in Garden City. Yeah. So here's the deal. He is not your everyday average normal guy who, you know, starts a a tiger wildlife refuge. He's he's gay. He has uh, convinced two straight men to be his husbands. Um, He he ran for president in 2016. He ran for Oklahoma governor in 2018 and got 19% of the vote. Um, this guy is, to say the least, he's wackadoo, but he's a, he's a wackadoo that we all look at him and we're like, you know what? I recognize that guy and my neighbor down the road. I recognize, you know, the people that are surrounding him. It's not just the story, by the way, of Joe Exotic. There's also, um, you know, Carol Baskin, who is, uh, she runs a, a tiger refuge or, um, a sanctuary down in Florida and she and, and, and Joe, they got into some, some Twitter and online social battles and, and it just escalated and escalated until Joe is now in prison serving a 20 some odd year sentence for, um, murder for hire plot, uh, <laughs> in the whole process, um, in the series, it comes out that, you know, everybody suspects that Carol, she killed and, and fed her husband to, uh, allegedly, allegedly. She killed and, and and fed her second husband to her tigers because nobody's been able to find him in, you know, 10, 15 years or so. It's it's just insane, Kayleen. <laughs> it's like a car crash. You can't drive by. I know. Without looking. And you know what? Seriously, on the surface, you laugh. Again, it's because these are characters that you see in your own hometowns, right? Um, you've got that, that guy that's probably addicted to some substance and the people that hang out with him are on that same substance, you know, uh, you've, you've got the people that have the very, uh, wackadoo animal rights, um, point of views, but let's talk about this. Uh, you got to dig deeper, Kayleen. And, and I got to thinking about this after I watched it and, and I still laugh. I still laugh at the memes. I still have a sense of humor about it. But folks in agriculture, we got we to gotta take a lesson from this, okay? And not to be the downer, but uh, you got to dig deeper. 
Now you say what you will about Joe Exotic, his uh, wackadoo addled ravings against Carol Baskin. And trust me, he had a recording career at some point, and there's a song out there called Here Kitty Kitty, and it's it's epic. In fact, Stoney LaRue um, had it in uh, in his um, his live performance last night. He was playing that. Oh, <laughs> as, as, that. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Um, but say what you will. He raved against Carol Baskin, but he was not wrong, Kayleen. And I tell you why, because she actually got her start with that second husband of hers doing the same thing that that uh, Joe and other people in the exotic animal business are doing. You know, they would buy tiger cubs and they would raise them out and they would, um, you know, take them, you know, show them off. They would charge people admission, the whole whole rigmarole. Right. But then she figured out that it's cheaper if you don't have to pay for your, your tiger cubs and your, your big cats. No, in fact, you provide yourself as a, as a sanctuary and you know what, all you got to do is pay for the upkeep of the free animals that are, that are uh, seated over to you. Right. Well, then you can get, you know, people that are good hearted. They'll donate money to you to take care of those, those large cats and then you go ahead and, you know, maybe charge people for the opportunity to to come and see them, not interact with them, of course, but you charge them to come see them at the sanctuary and you get your labor for free because, hey, people want to volunteer for them. I mean, <laughs> it's a it's a racket, Kayleen. And I tell you what, did you see her volunteer? Did you see her volunteer process on the, on the show? Oh, yeah. How they have to go through so much training. Yeah, it's practically cult-like because each one of them thinks the next level above, oh my gosh, there's so much more knowledge. There's so many more cool things. Well, I want to work to be the next the next colored shirt here and and work your way up. It's it's almost like that. I, and and I got to say, you know what? These are these are the ramblings of myself, you know, not of High Plains Journal obviously, but I'm telling you right now, animal rights people, they're not going to stop at tigers and exotic animals. They aren't going to stop at lab animals or companion animals. They are going to keep marching and doing the same tactics that she employed against him, crazy as he is. And folks, man is crazy, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but you know what? Um, the the tactics she employed were, ju- were, were legit. She went through the law process and... They will keep marching. Those animal rights people will keep marching until they start targeting livestock operations and rodeos, cattle guys, pigs, all of it. They're going to use those tactics, Kayleen. And, you know, it's one of those things. I, As a person in agriculture, I, yeah, I want to laugh at this. What crazy nut feeds, you know, bad, uh, bad lunch meat from Walmart to tigers for crying out loud? This guy and puts and puts the same stuff on his pizzas that he sells. Oh yeah, you know what? Allegedly, uh, yeah, we got to use the word allegedly a lot in this whole thing. So let's just say this segment is just allegedly awful. <laughs> but, well, those people, those people are already using tactics like that against rodeos and livestock and all kinds of stuff that they don't agree with. They're already banded together on online and on social media. I mean, it's, it's not new. It's something that they've already, already done. Well, and the sheer power of 
the persuasiveness of their social media tactics. You know, uh, again, we all laugh, but, you know, Carol Baskin, she gets on and, and does a, a, you know, Facebook Live or whatever show each day. And, and you know, she starts it off with, uh, what is it? Hey, cats and kittens. Something like that. <laughs> hey, they're cats and kittens. Um, and people lap it up because they want to feel like they belong to a cause. And I tell you what, you watch your local law enforcement and you ask them about their animal response teams that respond when abuse is suspected. Um, who gets to be on those teams and, and what sort of law enforcement capabilities are they endowed with when they're on those teams? Um, yeah, <laughs> I tell you what, yeah, Kayleen, I laugh at the memes and holy buckets. It It's just crazy how much the entire United States has just rallied around this guy that's sitting in jail, he's a character. He's a nutter. <laughs> you know what? He, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not sure if, if he's addicted to something. I don't know if he's just a, a little bit odd, but they've all rallied around his side. And I, that kind of gives me hope, you know, that, that really does give me hope that people look at that and go, it's not right. You know, he's sitting in jail yeah, he probably, you know, the, the jury said that he, uh, he was part of a murder for hire plot, but, uh, and he's doing his time, but I tell you what, people are sitting around it and they're watching this and they're going, well, what's the difference between what Carol's doing and what Joe's doing? There ain't a darn difference. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't figure it out while I was watching it. I'm like, she's doing the exact same thing. People pay to come see her, her rescued tigers. Oh yeah. So, yeah. I- I tell you what, you know, um, at the end of the day, I tell you what, folks, the animal rights people are not going to stop. Um, like I said, this is about tigers, but the next one could be titled Cattle Baron. So, <laughs> so are you going to watch the rest of it, Kayleen? Rewatch it. You got to. <laughs> I'll have to go back and, and watch it again and see. <laughs> so what else are you watching to or listening to? Uh, what's, what's been your, um, your social distancing uh, playlist, as it were. <laughs> well, I got caught up on Grey's Anatomy. I watched that for a long time and hadn't watched the last two seasons, so I watched that. So you're the one person in the United States that still watches that show? No, there's other people that watch it. <laughs> we watched the Golden Girls yesterday. <laughs> Chance was like, why are you watching this, Mom? Because I want to. <laughs> Yeah, look at my future son. <laughs> Your aunties and I we're gonna be uh we're gonna be living it up in shady shady acres. <laughs> shady pines. Shady pines, shady pines. I have been not just tiger um not just tiger king, but the whole slate of recording artists that are you that are doing uh live concerts on Facebook. You know, last night uh uh Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood, they were on Facebook doing a, a, a live concert. Um, I happened to be watching, uh, oh, Stoney LaRue with my girlfriends. <laughs> there are those that watch Garth Brooks and those that watch Stoney LaRue. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of interesting to see how many people are starting to use the technology that we have out there in so many cool ways. Um, yeah, and then... Then there's those people that are taking advantage and trying to steal your information. I've seen that there's hackers on Zoom and all the other platforms that people have been using. Oh, you know what? If if that's how you're spending your time, 
is trying to figure out a way to, to get money from other people. You know what? God will judge you. But I'm just, but I'm just going to tell you right now, Jenny Latsky thinks you're scum. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck trying to get any money from me because I don't have any. (laughs) You know what? They'd look at both of our accounts and go, oh, we should put some in. (laughs) (laughs) So anything else that, uh, you know, any other updates from uh, the, the ranch as it were? Well, before all this went down, we got some 4-H pigs, and they are residing at my sister's house because we don't have anywhere warm in our house to keep them. So they're there until either she kicks us out or we get something built here. Ah, sounds like a good project for the boys. Yeah. My, Sean went with his dad one day, and the feeder and the, the water are needed cleaned out, so... Mom and Chance went over there and cleaned it out. <laughs> Although it ended up just being Mom washing it out, which is fine. Yeah. You know what? I keep looking at this yard, and I think I'm just gonna. I think I'm just gonna mow it, and then I'll apply the weed and feed. <laughs> 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 well, hey, folks. Uh, we sure hope that you're enjoying or or making do with uh, with being cooped up. I know, I know we joke a lot in agriculture that we've been doing social distancing for a long time because our nearest neighbor's like five miles down the road, but, uh, it's really important, you know, take care of each other, look out for each other, wash those hands, you know, try to make sure that, that you're, you're not coughing on people. You know, this, this virus, it doesn't just spread randomly. It spreads by people. So we, we got to take care of each other and, and try not to be a carrier if we can. Okay. And, and be safe out there and take care of each other. All right. And if you all have a comment or a thought, drop us a line at HBJ talk at HBJ.com and let us know, or call us at the office 1-800-452-7171. And those calls are being forwarded. So don't worry about not being heard. (laughs) Exactly. And you know what? We will take your tiger King memes too. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny will. Hey, do us a favor and head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and and go ahead and leave us a review while you're at it. Those are always real helpful for us. So this week's episode, we're going to bring you the stories you might have missed in the March 30th print edition. And we'll also bring you some of our interviews we gathered from the trade shows at Commodity Classic and National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Uh, Kayleen's going to bring us the latest on grain markets and we'll have those final thoughts. So put down the remote. Stop looking to see how many acres a tiger might need if you were to get one as a a guard tiger for the farm. And I'm not saying that's been done, but it's it's quite a fair amount of acres, boys. So, you know, just be warned. And uh, ride along with us here on HPJ Talk. cover story this week is from Kayleen, making a profit in chaotic grain markets. So Kayleen, you write about a panel at the 2020 Commodity Classic there in San Antonio. Um, That panel had economists and market analysts discussing recent trade deals and how they can affect markets. So um, the moral of the story I, I gleaned is 
farmers need to have a, pan, a plan in place and play offense really uh, when it comes down to marketing their crops, right? Yeah, they need to have some sort of plan, you know, whether they're going to keep their keep their grain or if they're going to market it after harvest. And they have a lot of things to consider when they are wanting to either hold on to their grain or, you know, sell it after harvest. There's so many things you need to consider as far as storage costs. And even though you have storage on your farm, it still costs money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the quality of the grain goes down and different things as the season goes on. And even looking at the markets right now, if you had last year's grain or even two years worth of grain, that's not going to be a good deal for you. Right. You know, um, right now the coronavirus is just upending everything we know in the world on the whole. Um, so that's really good advice to keep in mind is to go into planting with a, a definite plan for after harvest, right? Right. On the opinions and editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier reminds readers about our work from home status during this pandemic. Remember, if you need to reach us, you can call, still call our office 1-800-452-7171 and you'll be forwarded on to the right person for your question. Seymour clearly writes about the bipartisan spirit on Capitol Hill in order to respond to the coronavirus pandemic. And Robert McKnight, Jr., president of the Texas Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association, writes about ranchers working to maintain the beef supply chain in the midst of this crisis. Field editor Lacey Newland writes about 5G's possibilities and shortcomings for rural America uh, right now during this crisis and even after. And Kayleen, you also listened in on an NCBA call about the unfolding COVID-19 situation and the impact that it will have on the U.S. cattle industry. What were some highlights from that that stood out for you? Well, I listened in on onto that call that NCBA had with Ethan Lane. He's their vice president of government affairs, and they held a conference call for media on March 18th. And they've been focused exclusively over the past week on the unfolding uh, COVID-19 situation. And granted, this is when everything was really kind of rolling along and stuff was shutting down and they were really just looking out for the beef producers, looking out for all those people that are on the supply chain, you know, starting with the cow-calf producer, going to the feedlot and the retailers and everybody else. Well, and, and, um, that's a a big topic of, of debate right now. Um, you know, folks are a little concerned about, uh, the beef industry it seems like uh, packers are are um, responding by trying to pay a little bit more now for their fat cattle that they're buying. Um, this whole thing has just turned the the beef chain in, uh, you know, inside out and upside down. It seems like because uh, we had such a giant run on uh, consumer cuts at the at the retail outlets versus the wholesale cuts that would go to the the restaurant industry and the and the rest of the the supply chain. Um, it's just, a, you know, after the curve, I think there's going to be a lot of economists that look at this whole situation and, uh, with some hindsight and figure out what happened and, and where we can, um, fix things in the future if this ever happens again, which I don't think anybody had any contingency plans for a worldwide pandemic that would keep everybody at home. Do you, Kayleen? I hope they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, and they kind of had they kind of had an idea with the 
you know, the fire at Holcomb last year, and they were able to to move the cattle around and be able to harvest those cattle that needed harvested at that time. And they were able to work on their efficiencies. And, you know, they kind of learned from that what they needed to do when there was a crisis situation. And I sure hope they've fine-tuned those those processes they needed to. And For sure. They're able to keep the cattle cattle moving down the line. For sure. And, and here's hoping that those chains keep going and, and, uh, we keep, uh, the beef cases stocked and speaking of beef and, uh, cattle, you're, if you, uh, check out in our edition of, uh, March 30th, you'll see that we're running an early bird special discount on registration for our cattle, you and trade show July 29th and 30th in Dodge city. Attendee registration is just $85 until April 30th. And that increases to $135 on May 1st. So that's a $50 savings if you go ahead and get your registration in before April 30th. And for our exhibitors, we have 20% off all booth spaces until April 30th. Uh, You don't want to miss your chance to join us at Cattle U, so visit www.cattleu.net for registration details. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hbj.com or Well, hey there, folks. This is Jennifer Latsky again, joining you live from the floor of the trade show at CattleCon 20, NCBA's annual meeting. I am here today with uh, Kent Anderson with Zoetis. Um, Kent, what's uh, what's new at Zoetis in the in the form of genomics and, and that field? Well, nice to be with you, Jennifer. Thank you. All sorts of things as we reflect on the past. Really, the last 10 years, we feel in the beef genetic evaluation world, has been the decade of DNA, so much so that across our beef seed stock industry, we think in 2020 we'll be celebrating one million plus animals that have been genotyped. And the advantage of that, of course, is that for the cow-calf producers that are buying bulls, they get a big boost in accuracy from tested bulls with genomic enhanced EPDs. So much so that it would really require the better part of a whole first calf crop and all their data using conventional technology in order to achieve. So it's nice to be able to celebrate a decade that's resulted in much more dependable EPDs. So to explain to some of our listeners who may not come from a livestock kind of background, um, typically we would use... uh, we would look at a bull and we would look at their confirmation. We would look at a cow and figure um, some some matches there. But then we got EPDs, which gave us more data on both the sire and the dam, and gave us some ex- expected progeny. Um, we could figure we could kind of figure out with a plus or minus if we were going to get a calf that was a low birth weight or a high birth weight. But now we have figured out DNA and where on the genome that these things happen, and we figured out our selections based on that. It's it's adding science to it, right? 
It is, and with all those pieces of information you just <laughs> described, Jennifer, it makes it more complicated. But I'm also happy to result uh, to report that in the last decade, we've got some very effective economic selection indexes. And so in one number, or relatively few numbers, we've blended together the economic ramifications to cost and to revenue and the genetic predictions so that you really can use very little information, but there's, there's um, a huge background behind that data to rank animals for anticipated net profit due to combined genetic merit. So we're trying to make the complex simple uh, so that uh, folks can use it more easily. So this is important because uh, purebred breeders have figured this out within the breeds, but uh, if you're a commercial cattleman and you're using an Angus bull, say on um, black baldy heifers or on Herefords or, or vice versa, um, there's some differences there. So what you all are doing um, has some capabilities to look at the commercial cattlemen and figuring out across, across breeds, correct? Well, Jennifer, that's a perfect question for a vision of the next 10 years because, uh, yes, the way we see it, there's no reason why commercial cow-calf producers shouldn't be afforded access to the same genetic evaluation technology that what seed stock producers have traditionally used. And, of course, part of that will be accounting for breed composition, impacts of heterosis, and even um, building tools that predict both the genetic merit of animals that's transmitted, but then also the expressed um, hybrid vigor and uh, heterosis and management of breed composition at the commercial level. So this may be a question out of left field, but knowing that our podcast goes beyond the, the farm gate, um, consumers want to know what does this actually mean to me? So we know that sustainability is a big buzzword as far as environmental sustainability. We know that cattle have a, a, a good impact on the environment. Um, they are the original uh, plant-based diet, we know. Um, but there is talk about uh, making a more efficient calf Genomics, is that something that can make a more efficient calf so that it takes less time and um, on feed, less time in the feedlot? And um, does that still give us a good eating experience when they end up on our plate? Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the real benefits of genomics is it helps us measure difficult, time-consuming, and expensive-to-measure traits. So a couple of those clusters of traits would include uh, predictions for differences in dry matter intake relative to growth and carcass weight. Again, the idea is to make the animals that are, to propagate the animals that are most efficient at converting feed to end product. And so from an environmental footprint standpoint, I think that has a favorable impact. But then beyond the packing plant, right to the consumer, the predictions now that are genomically enhanced for things like marbling, and tenderness that impact the palatability and the overall eating experience, I think bode well for consumers as well. And then just uh, thinking back to the cow-calf operation, the ones that really set the genetic stage, there's predictions for things like docility, so that's ease of management, but also animal well-being mm -hmm. as they're managed throughout their life. and mature cow size and milk production so that we can match the cow to the available feed resources 
so that it is as much as productive as possible throughout its lifetime and it, um, so I think all those things combined are speaking to both um, environmental issues as well as end product. I listen to you and I think about going out to the, the bullpen with my dad and my granddad and having them teach me what to look for in a confirmation of an animal. And um, there was always the challenge, which one, you know, place these for me. Five years old, you start placing cattle. Now, I like the pretty ones. <laughs> um, but I can remember dad always made a point. We need cattle that aren't going to hurt us and aren't going to hurt themselves. If they're, if they're too busy being, um, you know, jerks in the, in the feedlot, they're not going to feed. They're not going to gain. So they're wasting everybody's time. Um, I, I just think now all of the stuff that we can tell with a, with a swipe of blood or, you know, stro a stroke of DNA, my granddad would have just been over the moon to understand. Um, now I have to ask, do we now go back? I mean, does the confirmation of the animal still match up with what we're seeing in the lab? Um, you know, is that pretty bull still, still, you know, uh, got a good, good score? I would offer that while we've made tremendous strides in quantifying and evaluating many, many traits, we still need to blend that with good cowboy common sense for structure and function and body type and building cattle that are attractive to our buyers, uh, be it in the feed yard and, and beyond. So it's still a blend of the science and the good practical experience. But we are, we are making inroads in our partners at various breed associations, for example, American Angus Association. They've evaluated uh, feet confirmation and uh, quantified that. And I think that's a, a great step in the direction of, of trying to give tools beyond uh, the eyeball, beyond visual appraisal. But it's likely visual appraisal will always be an important element to blend with the predictions. Um, so, on the, still on the topic of genomics, we have a lot of dairies out in western Kansas, and some of the trends that we're seeing are uh, if they're going to breed back their heifers and um, they're going to they're starting to choose beef bulls to put on those heifers. Um, how can something like this help us, especially if we've got a Holstein cow and and we're matching it up with a beef breed um, or a commercial bull or of some sort? How can this help us um, make a, a steer out of that that's going to go to the feedlot and perform? And are there anything? Anything that we should consider when that steer goes to the feedlot? There are, and we're experiencing the same thing. On one hand, we have a DNA test product called Clarified, and it's for dairy producers. And they're using that very strategically to understand across their inventories the cows that are best suited to make dairy replacement heifers. And so those get bred to sexed heifer semen. And then for those that don't have very good probability of producing competitive replacements, they get bred to beef semen. And we've been inundated with questions from our dairy customers as to what beef sires are most complementary to either Holstein or Jersey so that we can not only get our cows bred and freshened and minimize days open and not have calving problems, but then also make feeder cattle that are as indistinguishable as possible to straight beef animals and feed efficiently and perform on the rail. And so um, we've worked internally to build economic selection indexes 
that rank beef sires for combined genetic merit across the traits we call the four C's, uh, such that we're always trying to build the best beef on dairy cross possible. Great, and it's really important that those animals, when they get into a feedlot, that they're more uniform. It just means that you don't have any extra care in the feedlot. Um, you don't have to you don't have to sort them differently when they go on the truck to um, the final processor, and then the processor doesn't have to slow down the chain. Uniformity is what we're all looking for, right? Um, that is correct. And just to drill down a little bit more specific to that question, for the dairy producer, they need to use beef bulls that have high conception and don't create any problems at uh, calving. Beyond that, though, we really feel like the ideal beef bulls have relatively lower levels of feed intake relative to growth because the dairy cow is a factory for producing a lot of milk and a lot of feed intake and is normally not as feed efficient as she need be. And so we, we find beef sires that eat relatively less, but still grow okay. relatively rapid. Uh, we also want to change the shape of the ribeye. So we want to select bulls that have muscularity to complement uh, plainer muscled uh, Holstein and particularly Jersey, um, while still getting those cattle to finish with sensible days on feed and carcass weights and of course, we always want the cattle to get good premiums and, and grade favorably. And so it's a fun time because we can uh, go into our vast databases of beef sires across various breeds and rank them for those characteristics. I tell you what, this is stuff that my, like I said, my granddad and my dad would have just been over the moon to, to know um, back when they were still raising cattle. Well, thank you so much, um, Ken Anderson with Zoetis. And um, for more information on this, where can they go if they have questions about uh, topics like this? Well, we would invite them to visit our website at zoetisgenetics.com and uh, also contact any of the sales or technical service folks among our team. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Anderson. And uh, for more uh, from NCBA CattleCon 20, uh, you can always check us out online anytime at www.hpj.com. Thanks, Kent. Thanks for riding along with us. Well, thank you. Hey, welcome everybody back. This is Jennifer Latsky, and I am on the trade show floor at Commodity Classic 2020 here in San Antonio, and we are over at the Agro Liquid booth with uh, Galen Beer and Troy Bancroft of Agro Liquid. Um, gentlemen, let's talk about Agro Liquid and what do you offer um, farmers as far as uh, crop protection and fertility um, products for their their needs. So our specialty is crop fertility, and we uh, we provide the full range of nutrients. So we're everything nitrogen all the way through your micronutrients like molybdenum and zinc. And that enables us to work across a broad geography and also across all crops. And one of the things our products do is they're compatible with each other. That makes us a little unique in the industry that we can make all of our products mix with each other for a synergistic more than the total, the sum is greater than the total effect. Going into 2020, what are some of the concerns for our crop guys in uh, the High Plains region as far as their fertility needs? We don't like to talk about 2019, but 2019 was a tough year on a lot of farmers. So what should they be looking for ahead for 2020? Well, one thing that 
You know, I'm just reminding farmers as 2019 was kind of one of those historical events and it's embedded in people's brains and just kind of reminding guys, don't let one bad golf shot affect the next shot. And so make sure that you realize that last year is in the history books and make decisions as though we're in a new year. Don't let that that bias of that last bad event influence how you're going to grow the future crop because we are facing you know, some challenging economics here, and yet we still have to focus on good crop nutrition. We have to be sound with that nutrition, and so we just really encourage them to seek some good advice and make sure that they're still doing a good job of fertilizing that crop. Um, speaking of crops, we've got a lot of wheat guys, we've got a lot of corn, sorghum, soybeans. Um, what are some products that you offer for each of those uh, particular farmers? So when you get into uh, things like uh, grain sorghum and corn and wheat, nitrogen's probably always going to be one of those things that pops out there because uh, it's the first nutrient that kind of comes out of a farmer's budget. But phosphorus is critical. Those high plain soils are almost universally low in phosphorus. So we will follow that up with our pro-germinator. That's going to be the second biggest thing they're going to spend their money on. And then we can get a little more crop specific. If you're kind of moving to the eastern side of the high plains and maybe some potassium enters into the picture where it doesn't on the west side, your cereal grains and your grain sorghum, they're going to love iron and manganese. Your corn's going to love zinc. And your hay crops are going to love boron. And that's one reason that we do offer all of those nutrients is so that we can kind of wisely spend that fertilizer budget according to that crop. Um, we have a lot of listeners to the podcast that are outside of agriculture. So how would you explain um, what you're doing for the crop and, and all of the micronutrients that a crop needs? Um, because it's, I, I tend to explain to my friends outside of agriculture, well, it's like taking a multivitamin, you know, this, that, and the other. There's certain things that your body needs. So how would you explain to them why it's critical to have a fertility part of the, the investment for a, a farmer? Yeah, that is an important piece of the puzzle because plants really are no different than us. I mean, they're going to produce based on what you put in. And so if we think we're not getting enough uh, calcium, we go take a vitamin. Well, plants don't have the ability to go do that. Re they rely on us to do that. So one thing we always encourage guys is take a soil test. Then we'll know the inventory of nutrients that already exists out there that that plant can pull from. Now we can be prescriptive and start adding those exact nutrients that that crop is missing. And that's responsible for a few reasons. Number one, it's spending the far farmer's money wisely. But number two, it's also from an environmental uh, standpoint, making sure that we're applying exactly what's needed. And so we're not out there just haphazardly applying nutrients that might end up somewhere else. So I always think of a soil test like a blood test. So it's just taking a small amount and then making an analysis of that just like a doctor does and then prescriptive applied nutrients that make a difference. One little thing can make a difference and you maybe apply it in a little amount make a huge difference in production. Well now, um, it's especially important um, not just for a green and healthy growing plant to have uh, products from agroliquid and, and um, in, uh, spoon feeding that plant. But at the end of the day, we're all looking at what's going in that bin, what's going in that barn. Um, so what are some yield boosts or quality boosts from agroliquid products that you could talk about to explain to farmers why they want to come to your company? Well, one of the things we've done is take a look at our alfalfa, looking at the total digestible nutrients uh, of what alfalfa has and knowing that we can make a difference 
on pounds of milk produced per acre. And that's one of the key things I think we have an advantage on, and that is that we're really concentrating on that to look at the end result for a return on investment on pounds of milk per cow per acre with a net ROI. You know, that's so critical out our direction, especially with the large dairies we have and the massive amounts of alfalfa that we're that we're pushing through those cows. And, and every bite has to have exactly what she needs in order so that we have um, milk jugs in the, in the refrigerated section at your grocery store. Um, what's one question that I'm not asking, gentlemen, that you really want people to understand about agri-liquid or um, crop fertility and, and products that you have available? Well, I think, you know, for most people, just want them to understand that it is critical that crops have the opportunity to have all the nutrients they need. And today's world, we're producing more food to feed the world. That means we're looking at nutrients we didn't used to look at. Used to, we were nitrogen only. Now, you know, we've started going phosphorus, potassium, but we're beyond that as well. We're getting at questions today regarding copper and boron and molybdenum. And we didn't have to think about those things because, the, you know, at those lower yield levels, we didn't have to worry about those nutrients. As we're pushing the envelope here, and we're sometimes doing it on fewer farmable acres, too. And so we're pushing, pushing those yields, and we're having to look at those nutrients that we didn't have to. And it's hard for the farmer a little bit. Those aren't the cheapest nutrients. Nitrogen's always the cheapest. But what they don't realize is if they don't add those nutrients, those the, the ones like nitrogen won't work as well as they're supposed to. So we've really taken a look at that. And we're also looking at how do we provide that healthier end product. At the end of the day, all of this food has an, all of these plants have another use. And the better job we do of feeding that plant, the better job it'll do of feeding whatever is downstream. So congratulations on being able to pronounce molybdenum. <laughs> I didn't even realize I did it. So good. Yeah. That was one of those. I still have to spell it out in my head. Molly yeah. B. Denim. Yeah. Um, but you're with today's uh, varieties that are thoroughbred varieties. I mean, if we give them exactly what they need, whether it's corn, whether it's sorghum, whether it's soybeans or wheat or alfalfa, these are varieties that you have to give them exactly what they want, and they will hit that finish line that you want. And micronutrients are part of that that they need to have. Absolutely. I mean that. You know, the, the production will reward you if you do the right job of, again, looking at what you need and understanding your geography and your growing uh, region that you're in, kind of what the challenges are. And also, you know, you get in the high plains. I mean, protein and weed is pretty critical. I mean, we're kind of known for that. So you have to make sure that you're doing the whole range of nutrients. If you leave something out, then you're scratching your head when the load hits the elevator and it doesn't have the protein that it needs. And sometimes it's just as simple as putting that iron and manganese, sulfur, something like that, in addition to those other nutrients to get that result. I think Galen has demonstrated what our value proposition is, is making those agronomic uh, assessments for the farmer and making uh, the best choice because our mission statement is to prosper the farmer. All righty. Well, hey, thank you, gentlemen. Now, where can folks go if they have questions about AgriLiquid or some of the products that might match their needs on their own farm? AgriLiquid.com. 
All righty. Hey, folks, uh, thanks for joining us today, gentlemen. And if you have questions about what about AgriLiquid or any of the other products and services and things that we've learned at 2020 Commodity Classic, you can visit www.hpj.com all day, any day. Um, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you down the road. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Your grain market prices from Don City's Pride Resources on March 24th, corn was up at $3.37, wheat was up at $4.48, milo was up at $3.02, and soybeans were up at $7.92. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for the hay, forage, and grazing added value issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes April 6th with a story from Lacey Newland. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, Fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day. This country life is for me. This has been a production of High Plains Journal, all rights reserved.